Good morning. Thanks for being here. My name is Derek. I'm the uh, student ministry pastor here at the church, and uh, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. So thanks for being here, and uh, I think this is week five. I'm, I've preached, or I've taught uh, week one through four, but I've never taught five or six, so I'm excited about this. You've uh, got me on the first time uh, talking about God's uh, beautiful design for, uh, for marriage, and we're going to hit on things like hum- our humanity, um, what this isn't is I'm not going to try to uh, just sell you that marriage is the end-all be-all, but that when we come into relationship uh, with someone of the opposite gender, uh, it is God's design uh, that is found in Scripture that we want to base everything off of when we approach that relationship. So um, I want to get right into that. Let me open in prayer and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is our standard. And God, not just because we're a bunch of people that agree on that, God, but we find in your word statements that make us know that it is authoritative, not just suggestive. So God, we want to come in this morning with our, our hearts and our minds open to be shaped by your word. God, I pray that uh, every single person in here, every married person in here, every uh, divorced person in here, every person that has had the ups and the downs of life, God, would just be melted in their heart by your word and your truth, God, and and know your grace and know your love as it's communicated uh, through your word. God, we love you and we turn our hearts and minds to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So thanks for being here. Uh, I know it's been a commitment uh, for you guys to show up for now five weeks. So we just want to uh, thank you. We believe it's a good investment of your time. And uh, so this morning, I want to just jump in to Foundations class number five, a beautiful design. I'll, uh, I'll stick as closely as I can to this um, document that you hold in your hand. Um, but I'll, I, there may be things we jump around and talk about. Good morning. Um, so let's let's start there. We'll start right in the first paragraph, and uh, and we'll work our way through this and open up for some questions at the end. And a little bit about myself before we do jump in. I'm I've been married going on seven years, so not a, a newlywed anymore, but uh, I'm sure not married as long as, as some of you, and uh, so I don't pretend to be an expert, but I know that God's Word is um, the expertise on, on marriage. But I love marriage, uh, but any, anybody that's been married for more than uh, a day um, can understand that uh, marriage is, uh, it needs a foundation. Marriage needs a, a, a source of, of grasping why, why we're doing this. Because you, you find out that if you don't have the right reasons for marriage, it will just become one of those other things in life that you've, uh, that you've delved into and um, can, can become meaningless, like many other things, if, if it's not rooted in the right place. So uh, let's, let's look at the, um, the teaching here. As we saw in our first lesson, God is the Creator. 
He beautifully designed all of creation. He intricately wove together the order we see in the universe. And I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating that the Christian uh, faith um, has, a, has a way of tying everything together. Everything, uh, whatever category you want to approach, if you will study God's word, there's a way to see it biblically. All of science, all, all, the, all the different explanations of everything in the world, ultimately uh, you can say, yeah, but, and point to God's word. It's amazing. So I love how we see that. He wove us together, and we stand in awe at the detail he used in displaying his glory. The gl- uh, that glory is, the most, is most clearly seen in the crown of his creation, that is, that is us. The Bible points to humanity as being like the apple of God's eye, the, the sparkle in God's eye, the, the ultimate of his creation. And, um, and we are designed uh, to reflect his glory, to, to mirror um, the glory of God. That, that's our purpose in life. And we make that so many different things. We, we, can, um, uh, we can distort that very easily. Because of sin in this world, sin in our lives, um, but ultimately our purpose uh, is is to reflect the fact that we've been created by God. I mean, when you think about that, that would solve a lot of our problems. That would solve a lot of our issues if we would, if our eyes would just be turned to our Creator and we would see that our purpose in life is simply to say, "All right, in this situation, uh, here's who God is. Here's who I am as His created being. How should I, like a mirror, like be pointing uh, towards God and towards the situation, like to deflect and reflect the light from Him? Like I'm a mirror, and then point it on that." If we would see all of life through that lens, uh, we, we would avoid so many mistakes. We would, uh, we would probably still find ourselves in some messes, but even in those messes, we would see how, how God's design for us to just reflect His glory uh, would, would bring light into those situations. And so as we look in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which we're going to talk through here, we see the purpose God designed for marriage. And uh, the reason we want to bring this up in this foundations class is we want, um, when, when people come into relationship with our, our community, our church, we just want, uh, we want it to be out there that we understand marriage to be a biblical uh, institution, not a, not a worldly institution, not a cultural institution. We believe that marriage itself was designed by God. And we, we do, we see throughout history, we, we, you can look at all, uh, all types of, um, past religions and all, all types of past civilizations and you see this idea of marriage. And, and maybe they did not have the Word of God as its, as their foundational document to run their civilization on. But ultimately, when we look back at God's design at creation, at the beginning, we see that it is Him establishing this, this relationship and this covenant from the beginning. So, we're gonna look here over the next few minutes of, uh, at three primary purposes that, um, that we see God establishing marriage for, and that's terribly grammatically incorrect, but it's early, so forgive me, and I've only had one cup of coffee. But, but we're going to look at three purposes God has for marriage, okay? Put it that way. So purpose number one is that it's uh, for mutually completing one another. Mutually completing one another. Marriage is designed so that the, the human 
can be completed. Okay, now now bear with me because we've got to make some distinctions here because uh, of what what Scripture says. It's it's very intriguing. It says in Genesis two eighteen, then the Lord God said, "It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him." Okay, uh, you've got to imagine this. I mean, Adam is in the Garden of Eden. He's been given like all this authority by God to name animals and to run like the kingdom on earth by God. I mean, it seems to be this pretty fulfilling life. He's like, no sin yet. There's no, there's no separation, no gap, no problems for this guy. And here it says, it's not good that man should be alone. So, so God is um, up to something right here at this point in Genesis. And uh, it, it says in your notes here, up to this point, God had said that all of his creation was good. He was creating the animals, the, the, you know, the, 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 the universe, uh, for lack of better terms. He's creating everything and looking at it at his, at his completion of each uh, phase. And he says, uh, it is good. And he gets up to this point and he says, man, it's not good that this man would be alone. And this is the first time God says something like this. In the Garden of Eden, Adam walked and talked with God. And amazingly, this was not enough. Um, God created a unique need in the heart of Adam. He created a need for companionship that was not met by his personal presence by God's personal presence Adam experienced God in the middle of perfection yet Adam was still alone in the category of companionship uh, compared to all the animals Adam was alone now I, I believe that God eternally was sufficient and is sufficient for Adam and for us but in terms of God's order of creation and in terms of uh, I mean you I'm getting kind of uh, Deep here, not too deep, but, um, you know, I, we look around and we see guys and girls getting together all the time. And so we're like, duh, yeah, guys and girls get together. They get married and, and they have families. But, but right here at the beginning, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to put it in an eternal perspective. Here, God, the creator of the universe, creating male and female, uh, all species. And he gets to man and he leaves them alone for a while. And, and we don't know God's purposes, uh, other than, that, you know, in the New Testament, God shows us that, uh, or the Word of God shows us that, uh, you know, everything written in the Old Testament is for our benefit. It's so that we can see God's design and that he would uh, bring a, a, a woman into Adam's life. So we go on uh, in Genesis chapter 2, 19 through 22, it says this. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place, Closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And so God's solution for Adam's need was to create a helper suitable for him. It's good to point out that the word helper here to describe Eve 
is the same word that God will use for himself in different parts of Scripture. It's amazing that um, God ultimately is not creating man and woman to be each other's um, soul satisfaction. God knew that that uh, from the foundation of the world that salvation would need to take place. And, and Adam and Eve are not there created for each other to save one another, but to be the complement to one another. And that is still true today. My wife, as beautiful and lovely and as amazing as she is, and she is a, a, an amazing helpmate, and I try to be a helper for her, she's not my savior. And if I lean on her that way, I will absolutely crush her. She's not able to uh, save me, but she is there. And if I understand her help or, or her uh, part in my life to be a helper and to be a, a compliment to my life and, and for me to be not a savior to her because if she, she leans on me for some sort of soul satisfaction and, and deep um, satisfying salvation, man, she will crush me and I will utterly disappoint her. But when we bring it into perspective that we're designed to be helpers for one another and, and ultimately, God, we see this headship of Adam being... Um, created first and Eve being brought along to be a helper. It's, it's really amazing. It can get thrown out of context. Uh, a lot of people will bring this whole idea into marriage that the man is controlling and the woman must do everything the man says because she's his helper. And that's not, that is clearly not what's taught from Genesis to Revelation cover to cover in the Bible. What's beautiful here to point out is that God uses the same word for Eve, this idea of helper. Uh, the, the Bible uses in the New Testament that same concept for the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's amazing to see that God would, would use this idea at the beginning to show that the significance of this woman Eve in Adam's life would be similar to that of the work of God in his life. In that she would be this divine, this amazing helpmate, this design, this divinely designed, created order for, for man to be just intricately helped by woman. And that, that, that's, that's the beginning of this beautiful picture of God's uh, beautiful design. So God's solution for Adam's need was to create a helper suitable for him. And so ultimately at this point, Adam's need was not salvation. This is prior to the fall. But God saw a very practical need in Adam's life. And that was that he would, he would be complimented by Eve. And so uh, when God calls you to marry, he gives you a mate who by his own design will complete you. Together you will be stronger and more effective than if you remain single. Here's what this passage does not imply, though, because uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I mean, I know I'm speaking to people who are not married in this room, and so I don't want you to check out on me because uh, it, 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 this is not saying that you have got to be married. It's not saying that single people are incomplete if they never get married. All of us are created in the image of God and bring God glory when we yield ourselves to his purpose and plan for our lives. I, I, I do want to take a moment here and, and, and really press on that just a little bit. Um, if you're in this room this, this morning and you're single, um, a lot, I, you know, I work in student ministry, but I, I'm with young adults all the time, and, and I want to press on their heart all the time that 
single, you know, they get this idea that singleness is kind of like less human sometimes, you know, and, and they just feel, you know, I'm, I'm being a little dramatic, but I mean, they, seriously, deep down inside, they're like, man, I, I just, I'm, I'm incomplete without, without a spouse. I'm so lonely. Well, here's, here's where you can't go. You really can't go to that extreme. Uh, because God has designed all of us in his image to be image bearers of God. And then when you get to the New Testament, you start to see something very, very telling of, of, of this. It's really, it's like a, a magnifying glass into the true heart of, of singleness. So marriage is not this completion of your humanity. You are, you are human. But, but, but singleness, just, just for a moment, and that's a whole nother talk, but singleness, the Bible says, is a gift. The Bible calls singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe, a gift. And, and some people have that gift their whole life. Like Paul, he, he starts talking to the church in uh, Corinth and he says, I, you know, ideally, you would be so single-minded at this point considering the time we're here at the end of the world and, and, and we are, you know, we're coming up on hopefully the return of Christ. But regardless, we should see ourselves in this, this season of time as devoted to God. And that's his point. You know, all of us can be and should be in, in a relationship with God, married or not, where we are fully devoted to Christ. And so singleness, if you are single in this room, I don't know what your plans are. I don't know what God's plan is for your life. But don't ever see, the point is, don't ever see that uh, your singleness is some sort of curse or some sort of incompleteness. Uh, because singleness can be and biblically is a gift, whether it's a short season or a long season. Some, some people's singleness may last their whole life. They, if that is the case, they have not lived a subhuman life, especially if their life has been fully devoted to Christ because God will set some apart and he calls it a gift if that is your gift. But then Paul, the famous verse, uh, it's better for you to marry than to burn with passion or burn with lust. And so some people's singleness, the gift of their singleness only lasts for a little while. But something I try to share with our students and our young adults is that this season of singleness in your life is a gift. So don't squander it. Don't, don't regret it. Don't, don't look at it like a curse, man. God wants to give you this season to honor his name, to draw close to him, to be full devoted to the work of his kingdom. So, so I just wanted that caveat because I'm not trying to sell you that uh, marriage is the more full human experience. But when God calls you into marriage and, and your gift is not necessarily lifelong singleness, this is his design. His design is that you would be yoked with the, the female or male of, of God's design and God's creation. God has uniquely designed a spouse to complement you. We're not called to change the things about our spouse that are different from us, but rather celebrate who God made them to be. Our commitment to God enables us to see our spouse as God's perfect complement to our life. So, so these, these complementing people, they come together. Uh, God's design is that we would complement one another. We would be there for one another, help one another. Um, you know, this note here um, in, our, in, our, in our booklet here, we're not called to change the things about our spouse that are different from us, but rather celebrate 
who God made them to be. Uh, our commitment to God enables us to see our spouse as God's perfect complement to our life. And that's just hinting at a lot of times we can come into this relationship uh, with a spouse and, and have all these expectations for them. But, but it's good to step into marriage, into the uh, dating relationship, moving towards marriage, whatever season of life you're in. Uh, we should step into these relationships, not expecting to change everything about this other person, but to, as a Christian, believe that God is at work in them, just like he is at work in us. Be patient, be loving, be kind, and be on board with the uh, journey that God has them on. And, and hopefully it will be uh, the same for your spouse, that they will be on, just be on board with what God's doing in your life. Here's, here's the... Uh, the thing I, I, I try to share and, and keep in mind myself, God's perfect match for you, whether you're married in here or you'll be married one day, whatever that may be, God's perfect match for you is not perfect. Okay, so, so I believe that there's, when you get married, you know, the person you're supposed to be married to uh, is the person that their name is on that marriage certificate. Like that's, that's who God brought you together with for this season and time. I hope it will be what God will continue to do in your life and you'll be committed to that covenant. But regardless, that perfect match is not perfect. They're, they're a fallen, sinful human being just like you, just like me. And, and we should see that. But we should also keep in mind that God has been gracious with us. He is gracious with us. And when we're in these relationships, man, let's, let's be mirrors to one another of God's grace, God's mercy, God's kindness. And He's at work to change us. Let, when, when I'm with, uh, I, I, my wife and I talk about this a lot. I, I want to be, whatever God is doing in her life, I want to be sensitive enough to say, man, what is, what is God doing in my wife here? And how can I be part of that? Rather than seeing her as just this, hey, God's doing this in my life. Are you going to come with me? Or like, are you part of this or not? I, no, I want to be selfless in this relationship saying, man, what is God, what is, what is God doing in her? How can I be a part of jumping into this story that God has in her life and seeing selflessly that I'm part of, I'm part of her story, not just she's part of my story. And that's, that's, that, that, that starts leaning towards the character of God. That starts leaning towards the Christian approach to all relationships, where you and I are designed not to approach other people selfishly to see how they can benefit us, but especially in marriage, we should not be approaching it to see, all right, how can this person just come along in my life? She's going to make my life a whole lot better. He's going to make my life a whole lot better, and we're just going to be able to take the world together. I mean, those are some cool thoughts to have. But ultimately, when, when the rubber meets the road, this is about two people who are imperfect, who may have completely different viewpoints on the world that they don't even realize when they get into marriage. And, 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 and you, you're there two, three, four years down the road and you're discovering things about one another, uh, discovering viewpoints about one another, about how to raise children. You're like, man... Where did that idea come from? I mean, if you're approaching that uh, relationship selfishly, you will try to bend and manipulate and, and try to get out of your spouse um, what they're not at a place to be able to give. But if you see them as a gift, if you see your life as a compliment to them and, and her life as a compliment to you or his life as a compliment, compliment to you, you'll, you'll begin to approach that relationship selflessly. So our commitment to God enables us to see our spouse as God's perfect complement 
to our life. So that's purpose number one, to uh, mutually complete one another in a design type of way. It is that God in marriage has designed male and female, Adam and Eve, you and your spouse, if God is leaning you into that gift of life and he's not giving you the gift of singleness for your whole life and he calls you to marry, he's calling you into a biblical relationship of male and female to complement one another. The second purpose for God's beautiful design is multiplying a godly legacy. Multiplying a godly legacy. As we continue to look at the book of Genesis, we find the second purpose of marriage. Genesis one twenty eight says this, And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see here in Genesis that having children is a command that God gives. God places a high priority on being fruitful and multiplying. Having children in our culture today is looked at more as a burden than a blessing. Children are seen often as a hindrance. And I may not be talking to some generations, but I, I've got many friends that are what, what are called millennials. Uh, everybody born from uh, the year 1980 to uh, 95 or 2000, depending on how you look at that generational statistical evidence. Um, uh, a lot of times kids are like, oh, bro, you got kids, man. All right, your life's over. See you. We can't be friends anymore. But man, God's, God's showing us that, um, God's showing us that Children are a blessing. Children are a gift from God. My wife and I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. They're boys, and um, they are they are inconvenience. They are inconveniences, but they're beautiful inconveniences. They, 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 they do make me wake up really early, and they do make me wake up in the middle of the night, and, and they do... It is a full-time wrestling match at my house, complete with... Um, you know, costumes and all, and uh, all the blood. But um, it's, it's, it's beautiful. The Bible, the Bible calls children uh, a heritage from the Lord in Psalm 127, 3 through 5. It says, they are the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So not only is having children a reward and a blessing, but it's God's primary way of passing on his word. This is important. It's God's primary way of passing on his word from one generation to the next. And so let me say this. We know that not everybody can biologically have children. And and we know that not every relationship will have children. And we know that single people who God has gifted with the gift of singleness will not have biological children. And so what we're also not saying here is that if you can't have children, if you don't have children, this is not, uh, this is not an eternal issue. This is not a salvation issue. This is a directional issue in that God is calling Christians from generation to generation to pass on the truth of Scripture, to pass on God's Word. And so if you do have children and you are a Christian, it is God's design in your life that, that you steward that, ch- that child, that, that you see that child as an arrow in a warrior's bow. And, and your job is to create, sharp, not create, but, but build sharp 
arrows that will go far and they will go straight. They will go long and they will be, they will be piercing. It's your job as a parent in your life to instill the word of God. The Bible says that um, when a child is young, if you will pour into their life the word of God, when they are old, they won't depart from the truth of it. Now, um, they, they may stray, they may do all kind of crazy things, but uh, the Word of God is so powerful that if you will pour into the next generation, whether, you, whether they're your biological children or um, people that God brings into your life that are younger than you and from another generation, if you'll pour in the Word of God in their life, God's Word will not return void in that life. You, you will be planting seeds that will sprout fruit in the future. And, and the Word of God will continue to rise up and flood that mind. And wherever that child is, wherever those people are, if they wander off, the Word of God will be so powerful. I've, had, I've heard so many stories of people in nightclubs, in bars, or in horrible situations, in the middle of uh, all kinds of trouble. But the words of God that were planted in their hearts when they were children start to spring up in the strangest places in the clubs you know uh people be in the i've heard stories of people in the bathroom and and they're they're just they're about to they they've they've taken too many drugs and and there they are in a moment of desperation their life may be on the line and the words of their mother the words of god that were planted in there as a young child start to flood their hearts flood their soul and it's a moment of salvation for many of them. So our job in God's design is, yes, to have children be fruitful and multiply. If that is, if that is um, what God gifts you with in this life, with biological children, but maybe it's adoption. Or maybe you're single and you're going to be single for a long time. It's pouring your soul into the next generation, pouring God's word into the next generation. That's what multiplying a godly legacy is all about. So this um, purpose, number one, was mutually completing one another. Number two, multiplying a godly legacy. And this last point is mirroring God's image, to mirror God's image. I, I mentioned this uh, really briefly at the beginning, that we were like a reflector of of who God is onto every situation in the world around us. We are, we are to, to be like a, a, a reflection of, of this radiance of God to the world around us, letting people know maybe you're not the talking type, maybe you're just an example giver, but that's okay. Your job is to be like a life of a, a, a big mirror, like the, the glory of God coming down and you shining it all around because you're a reflection, you're a mirror of God's image. So what is God's purpose in creating humans. Look at this. God said in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27, says, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This third purpose for marriage, mirroring God's image, is a critical foundation for the understanding of God's design. It means that God chose to reveal to us a part of his character and being through our relationship. So, for example, when we love one another, 
we reflect God who created love and who is love. Um, and so in a marriage relationship, our job is not to be um, a, a, an absorber of light, but a reflector of light. You know, uh, uh, I mean, my job in, in marriage is really supposed to be one of, of unity and community. And um, I, I want to do a good job of being filled up with the Word of God, the Spirit of God, so that I can be an overflow to my spouse and, and work in unity with her. Um, this, look, another example, when we forgive one another, we reflect God who has forgiven us in Christ. I, I love the example that, that the Apostle Paul gives in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. He, he talks about marriage being um, a, a picture of the beautiful mystery of, of Jesus Christ and the church. I mean, ultimately, this this relationship between husband and wife is a picture of the sacrifice, the grace, the the love, um, uh, the commitment, the covenant. Uh, ultimately, the death of Christ. It's, it's giving away. It's it's a giving relationship. It's a giving away of your life to someone else, and by doing that, the the, the flow is so beautiful. But I mean, if you put it in that perspective and you start to think, what has Jesus done for me? What, what, did, what extent did God go to to get me? You know, it's, it's beautiful. What, if you should go through and read Ephesians chapter 5. It's not in our notes here, but you should go through and read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. And it's this amazing picture about how Jesus um, sacrificially uh, loves us. And he says something very, very amazing. You know, we, 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 think, of, we think of human marriage as, as, you know, we fix ourselves up, we put our best foot forward, and one day on that, on that um, you know, on the, on the marriage day, on the wedding day, you know, the beautiful bride is beautiful, the most beautiful day she's ever going to have. She's all like just spruced up as best as she can. Beautiful makeup, hair done, spent like all night getting ready, you know, whatever, white dress, everything about to come down. The man's all like cologne up, uh, tuxedo on. I mean, you, you're just never going to look like this ever again in your life, basically. Get all ready. You fix yourself up for this wedding day to present yourself right, to your spouse, to present you. You've done everything you can to get yourself to this amazing spot. You just got your best foot forward, totally faking out your wife, totally faking out your husband, because it's about to get real. What happens, though, is in Ephesians 5, this sprucing up, this preparing, this presenting is presented to us, in God's word, as a work that he does for us. And it doesn't make sense to us. He says that he's going to present to himself a bride. So you're telling me, God, that it's like, on my wedding day, it was supposed to be me getting my wife ready. 
No, it's supposed to, she was supposed to present herself to me. She was supposed to fix herself up, you know, make sure she looks right. And I was supposed to fix myself up. But God turns this whole thing and really gives us a real picture of marriage. And he, he says, no, 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 no. This is about long suffering. This is about long term commitment. This is about me as your husband reaching down into your imperfect, torn apart, messed up life. Making sure that, yeah, I, I want you to be beautiful. I want you to be beautiful on that wedding day. But you know what? That beauty's gonna come because of the work I do in your life. Man, if you will bring that into marriage, it will change everything. I talk to so many people that are married and they're having struggles in their marriage and ultimately it's because they're expecting something out of their spouse that they can't get out of their spouse. And, and then they start looking at themselves and they see all the, they see what that type of thinking is doing to them and they're like, now I'm making, I'm making all kind of mistakes. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this now. I'm doing that now. And, and, and they want to blame their spouse, but they know they can't blame their spouse. And, and it all comes back to this idea that man, this is, this is about the long run. This is about the long game. This is about the end game. This is about down the road, one day you being part of this journey that God has for your spouse. One day you'll stand before Christ, all of us, if we've believed in his name, if we've trusted on his name. And, and we know, I know that I have not, I, I, there's no way. I would have to be tricking myself, faking myself out to believe that I will have prepared myself good enough to be presentable to the king of kings as, a, as an eternal spouse. That, that's, we, can, we can say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on myself. I'm, I'm trying to get to heaven. I'm, I'm doing all the right stuff, you know, and I know one day I'm going to be good enough and when I see him face to face, it's all going to be good. I'm going to have done enough good stuff and, and you can live that way if you want to, but the biblical model is that it will have been the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit to build this full person that He wants you to be, that He has planned for your life. And the language there is that He presents to Himself a pure, holy, beautiful bride. It's a, it's a, it's a relationship of patience. It's a relationship of work. It's a relationship of, of man... I'm on board with you, and I know you're on board with me, but even if you're not on board with me, this is not a contract. This is a commitment. I'm committed regardless. So I, I, um, marriage, in conclusion, is far more than just a cultural institution or a contract. Marriage is far more than just a place where men and women can get their needs met. Marriage is a beautifully designed uh, institution to represent God in the earth. Marriage is designed to be a covenant relationship that God uses to demonstrate His love, forgiveness, and long-suffering with the centerpiece of His creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your people. God, I thank You for marriage. And God, I thank You that ultimately marriage points towards Your love for us, God, and when we make marriage about ourselves and our, our selfishness, God, we, we destroy marriage and we see that in statistics. 
God, but I pray that we would have a biblical view of, of marriage and that we are each other's helper and that you've, you've designed it, um, to be a way to reflect your image and to continue the legacy of godliness from generation to generation for your word to be passed from generation to generation. God, and I pray that you would make us a community, a, a body of people who understand marriage to be designed by God to reflect your glory to each other and to the world around us. Lord, I thank you for the commitment of these people to this time. Lord, I pray that you will have blessed this time in their life to the praise of your glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If anybody has any question, if I wasn't clear on anything this is the end. You're free to uh, ask questions or make suggestions or, or comments that you have. Anybody? All right. Go ahead. Yes. Well, we, we believe, I, I'm, I'm not sure your background, and so I'm not presuming that everybody believes this, but we believe that when God uses a plural language, and I won't get, I'm not a Hebrew expert, but I, I, if, if we need to, I, I've done the studying. God, God uses this type of language, we believe, because, we, uh, because of the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have eternally existed. One God, not three gods, one God eternally existing in three persons. So uh, it, it, we would call it a divine mystery. We would, we would not pretend to understand how that works. But we do find the language in Scripture that, that God is referring to the work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit throughout creation and in the earth. Not not uh, different modes, not God changing from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but coexisting uh, from eternity past and into eternity future. Yes, ma'am. Um, you know, I've not seen God. Um, and I don't know if we will. And so, so what I do know, though, that this is directly referring to is that we are designed in His image in that we are created uh, to have His, His attributes of personality, His attributes of uh, choice, His attributes of, uh, you know, love, emotion, and all of these, um, all of these types of things that make up the character and nature of God. We were designed in his image. But um, when we do see Christ, we see that he came in human form. He did not come as an animal. He did not come as a tree. He did not come as an engraven image. He came as human. And so we've got to, um, in that sense, understand that, that God has designed us in his image, in a sense, to represent um, the faculties maybe that God has in, but, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that um, 
I, I'm not sure. I'm, I think in this passage, and I could be wrong, and I'm sure you could find support for all other types of views. But but I believe what we are supposed to grasp from in His image, He created us, uh, is that we we were designed with these faculties of of personality, of uh, creative abilities, and and all these attributes of of God in His character, His nature, His His ways of uh, thinking. Not that we are God and understand all of His ways, but that we would we would relate to things in a um, in a personal manner does that help at all okay anybody else all right good question did, did I help on the us part uh, it No, I, I don't believe he's talking about angels because we don't see that the angels were part of the creative order uh, as far as creating. Uh, but we do see that Christ is part of creation. So uh, the Bible says, by him and through him were all things made. Okay, and so that's referring to Jesus himself. And then we see that the work of the Holy Spirit right there at the beginning as well. So it leads um, most theologians throughout Christian history to believe that it's referring to this concept that's not mentioned by, by name in the Bible, but what theologians have come to uh, call the Trinity. Uh, a, a long history, you can study the concept, idea of the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe that that is what's going on there when he's referring to us. And, and, and we, would, we would be wrong to believe that would be three gods, because the Bible says uh, God is one. Uh, and there is none beside him, but we do see God expressed through Scripture as Father, Son, Holy Spirit coexisting. One example, one great example of that is the baptism of Jesus. Uh, and we believe in the divinity of Jesus. We believe he was, he's God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, and so in this moment of Jesus' baptism, we see Jesus going down into the water, coming up, uh, the voice of God from heaven that everybody there heard saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Okay, so you have father, you have son, and then you have the Holy Spirit descend on Christ in this moment. It's this amazing picture of, of the Trinity. Um, so, so there's, there's a teaching in some, uh, branches of, uh, Christianity, whatever you may want to call it, and, and, and it's, we don't have to get into it, but but there are people that believe that God has has kind of like kind of shifts and kind of changes, and 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 he he's the Father who changes into the Son, who changes into the Holy Spirit, and it's just there's no grounds for that in Scripture. Okay, it's 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 very quite clear that uh, that God is eternally existent, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons uh, working uh, His will in all in all the universe especially in all the earth. Cool. All right. Great. Thank you guys so much for your time. Uh, hope to see you back next week. We'll be concluding with uh, why church? Why church? Why do we do church? All right.